Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity this morning to be in this place of responsibility. Many years ago, you charged me with the charge to preach the gospel in this pulpit. And for 35 years, we've done exactly that, God, and declared your word. We know, O oh God, that you're the author of all goodness and all kindness and blessing, that every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you, God, that these next few moments that we spend in the Word of God would be fruitful, instructive, and inspiring. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. You heard me say last Sunday that Jesus was the promised Messiah. He is the promised Messiah. That prophets what we call minor prophets and major prophets, saw a day when a Savior would come. Saw a time when Jerusalem would be reestablished and would be blessed once again. And Micah is one of those prophets that we call a minor prophet. Not because what he has to say is secondary, but because of the shortness of his ministry and his writing in the, New Testament, or the Old Testament. He was a person who was very keen. He's a very straightforward person. He was a very forthright person, a very to-the-point, blunt kind of person. He just kind of stated his case out there with you. And as one fellow said, I'm just going to leave it with you. Well, I don't know if Micah was hardly like that, but he was a very matter-of-fact kind of prophet. He didn't stammer and stutter he said what he had to say, and he said it with confidence and said it with assurity. And Micah, the Bible tells us in Micah 6, 6 through 8, What shall I come to the Lord? With what shall I come to the Lord? And bow myself before the God on high. Shall I come to Him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams? In 10,000 rivers of oil shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. If we were to ask the question, what do you reckon God wants for Christmas this year? We would have to go to his word to find out. And Micah gives us a hint there at what God would be looking for us to give to him. He expects our whole heart when he communicates with us and enters into a dialogue with us. He expects us to do that with our heart. He even says, the day that you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. He says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. In other words, he wants pretty much to be first place in our lives. And he states that emphatically in, in the scriptures that we're to get first things first, get priorities to be priorities in our life. I think the church is suffering most today for our lack of commitment to priorities. I think we've gone down pig trails and chased rabbit holes until we've kind of got away from the real thing that Jesus wanted the church to do. If you want to know 
what Jesus would be doing now, read his word. And the church should be doing right now what Jesus would be doing if he was here on this earth. He says to us, occupy until I come. He says to every one of us, do the work of an evangelist. He tells every one of us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Tells every one of us that ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. He's all about connecting. God is all about connecting. He's about our doing our part to win the world for the Lord through what Jesus did at Calvary. That's what the Great Commission is all about. You know, buying Christmas presents and finding something that nobody has and that nobody wants <laughs> is quite a chore. I get amused sometimes. Joan, you and Sam look so pretty today in your red sweaters. Look so nice. I get amused, you know, when a lot of times uh, people do their shopping. And uh, every year it seems to be some crazy item that nobody's got. I remember when the kids were small, cabbage patch dolls. Now I'm dating myself, I know. But big, big thing was finding a cabbage patch doll. People stood in line, camped overnight on sidewalks, trying to get a cabbage patch doll. And we got to, because we had a boy and a girl, we got a Delbert Olin. And what was that girl's name, Debbie? I can't remember that baby's name that she called it. Anyway, Rachel had a good, hey, Debbie still got those things. And don't call Rachel the sentimental one. She would have thrown them away a long time ago. So the sentimental one is probably sitting over here and probably standing up here preaching to you just a little bit. Yeah, every time it's something you, and don't you hate to give somebody something that it didn't work out? Hey, isn't it a dead giveaway those first few seconds? Maybe that first two seconds when they opened the press, and you see that look on their face. You know you done messed up. You know you done got the wrong thing. Either it was the wrong model, or it don't fit, or it's not the right color. It don't go with any of my stuff. I, I, I don't wear that uh, color. I don't by that brand it don't fit me boy you know the biggest day for stores you used to think is black friday you know what it is it's the day after christmas because people are hauling that stuff back that they stood in line to get truth is bottom line only jesus will satisfy your soul you may search this wide world o'er but you'll be just as before because only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only the things that are of the Spirit, the things that pertain to God and His promises and His Word, those are the things that last. They always fit. Always fits. It's always the right color. <laughs> I say sometimes you can prick the Word of God anywhere and it'll bleed. That's because the blood of Jesus is on every cover-to-cover cover page. Amen. He is a God 
that does miraculous things for his people. But the problems with that gift giving is just like I said, sometimes you just can't get it right and you want the perfect one. I saw a cologne the other day made from poison ivy. Now, how would you like to get you a wrapped up present and it says cologne made from poison ivy? No, thanks. I might break out in hives all over if I get that stuff. Well, it's hard getting the right present, but I wonder what God would like to see from us on this wonderful Christmas season. Matthew 2, you know that Matthew 1 is that lineage and genealogy that we've talked about before, right? When you get to chapter 2, the Bible starts talking about uh, three amigos that were called the Magi. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Where? Well, the first thing we've got to deal with is that east stuff. They came from the east and they said, we saw his star in the east. Well, my Lord, how in the world did you do that? You should have been traveling west. If you're from the east and you saw his star in the east and you followed the star, how could you be wise men from the east and have come from the east? If you came from where you were, you had to be going west. Well, you're right. It goes all in that uh, interpretation of that word there uh, for east and the bible says the word is a has a dual meaning it also means rising up they said we have come from the rising up to worship him we have come from our home now who were the, were they these gentiles well pastor you're going to have to tell us more clues to get out whether they were Gentiles. Well, actually, they were from Arabia. They were from southern Arabia. They were from probably Iraq or Iran. Yeah. And the Bible talks about a group of people that lived in that area that were astrologers. Is that a good word? In other words, the Bible said they viewed the planets. They moved their herds around. Most of them were Bedouins. Do you know what a Bedouin is? A Bedouin is shepherds who live in their tents and they move their tents from place to place for them to graze. Uh, we've been, if you've been with me to Israel before, we've been many times in the Bedouin's house and uh, seen how they lived. Isn't it, isn't it uh, ironic that Abraham was a Bedouin? He wasn't a Gentile, but he was a Bedouin. And you remember when the angels came and visited him in his tent? And you remember how his wife, Rebecca, laughed and named the baby Isaac, which means laughter. From that area, there came these guys who were studiers of the stars. They watched the stars and the planets, and they observed the seasons and the times by the way the heavens moved. And one day they saw this bright 
star rising in the east. And if you go back to the ancient oracles, you'll find where they write about how that in their history that one day they saw a star and they traveled west until they found the place where the star stopped. And they worshiped, it says, the greatest of all kings. Greatest of all kings. Wow. So these were from southern Arabia, and they said, we've seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Why would it be troubling for Herod and all of Jerusalem to be disturbed? Anytime you heard about a new king that was coming to town, there was fear, there was fright, frustration, anxiety, because King Herod was already a king. And if another king is coming, then that king would be a rival. So he didn't want that to happen, so he, the Bible said he committed a terrible atrocity. He started killing babies, lest that king would be born. Well, I want to tell you, all of his efforts would be in vain. If God was sending a king, Herod couldn't stop it, and neither could the Roman army, and neither could all the devils in hell. If God decides he's going to send a king, praise God, he'll send a king. <laughs> All of Jerusalem was with him because Jerusalem had not attached this, this thing properly. They, they saw the gift of God and the promise of God and the prophetic one, the Messiah. Actually, that, that word means Christ, Messiah. In Jewish or Israeli, it's called Yeshua. Yeshua. He was... Had, that's his Jewish name. He was Yeshua. It means Savior. It is a word very similar to Joshua. And Joshua was the one, you remember, who took them out of the Egypt's bondage after Moses died and crossed the river with them and brought them into the promised land. The Savior, the Deliverer. Praise God. Our Lord Jesus is called Yeshua because He is a Savior. The Bible said, you'll call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jerusalem was all astir because they couldn't understand what God was doing. They were looking for a conqueror, but there had been such a strong oppressor that had oppressed them for many, many years. Well, they, they first had Persians. You remember when the children of Israel were carried away into captivity and they stayed 70 years in captivity. From Babylon they went to Persia and from Persia the Greeks came in and defeated them and then the Greek culture ruled for a while and then the Romans came and defeated the Greeks. So you've got all of these people groups over all of these centuries. Wow, what about all of that? And then... Jesus came as a child born of the Virgin Mary. They were expecting someone to ride in. They'd seen, like in Shechem, when they would have the chariots, 
and they'd come through. They'd, they'd brought marble from Europe and had carved pillars and had, had got Roman baths and put all the great amenities uh, available for the Jewish people. And as they would ride through the triumphant victor in all the battles, he would ride a white horse and he would be, have a chain dragging the reluctant prisoners of war back with them to shame them and, and to make him look a, like he was a mighty warrior. That was a scene that was very common to them. That's what they were looking for because the Romans were great at setting up a, a stage. The Romans were great at looking good. The Romans were great as, at doing the palatial things and, and doing things that would astound you. And that's what they'd seen. Now, when they expected when our Savior comes, He's going to come in like these Romans do. He's going to come in on a white horse. Well, they got that right. Just missed the time. Revelation 19, 11 said, I saw the heavens open and I saw a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. That's the Lord Jesus. Praise God. Got it right about the white horse, but I want to tell you, they got the timing wrong because it wasn't time for the white horse, right? It's time for the baby to be born. Well, we're looking for a conqueror. We, we need this oppression off of our necks. We need to get rid of this terrible and brutal oppression that has been brought upon us by these Romans. We need a Savior. We need someone to deliver us and set us free. We're looking for a conqueror, a battling warrior that will come and drive out these Romans. So to tell them then that a baby has been born, was of little significance to them. They just really couldn't put that together. God loves to do mysterious things. Great is the mystery of godliness, the Bible says. And the Bible said through prophets and through uh, psalms and things of that nature, the gospel and the promise of God had been communicated to us. But he said, but now, but now, a child is born unto you, unto you a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and of his kingdom and his increase there shall be no end. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Wow. They did not come to visit the city of Jerusalem. They came to visit the child. They did not come to make some political offer. They came to bring gifts to the child. They did not come to discuss war and battle and boundary lines. They came to present gifts to the child. The Bible said those three gifts were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold at that time in Arabia, believe it or not, was abundant. It was one of the places in the world where there was much gold. And they that were wealthy and they that were well-to-do in southern Arabia had lots of gold. There is a tree that grows in southern Arabia and uh, there alone where you can get the frankincense. It comes from the root of that tree. 
The only place you can get myrrh is in southern Arabia because it grows as a bush there in southern Arabia. It's very coveted. It's very prized by people that are affluent and people that are wealthy. So these three visitors from Arabia came bearing unique fruits. Gold for a king. When a king comes, he just wants your gold. Gold fit for a king. Gold that is the master of all of the wage earning, all of the investing. Gold is at the top of the list. There is none stronger or better than to have it in gold. There is no better way than Jesus. There's no other name than Jesus. There's no forgiveness but through Jesus. There's no salvation but through Jesus. There's no eternal life but through Jesus. There is no other way. He has no peer. Alexander the Great cannot say that he can give you eternal life. Napoleon cannot say that he can give you eternal life. The brilliant minds of the religions of the world cannot say they can give you eternal life. Only through Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live again. Jesus is a king of kings. There, there is no king above him. There is no peer beside him. He stands alone as God's way of salvation and God's provision for all that are depraved and lost. Yes, they were Gentiles, but they were included. And what God is saying to these folks is that everybody is in this picture. Now, if you go back to the lineage and the genealogy in chapter 1, you'll find some strange things. Number one, you will find that in that family tree of the Lord Jesus, there's women. Come on, ladies. Swallowed your tongue. Come on. I'm preaching for you, ringing your bell. Come on. Women was in that genealogy. Now, hey, praise God. Listen at them. Listen at them online. They're clapping all over the house. Thank God for good women. I love good women. God loves good women. But if you'll read the lineage and the genealogies of that time period, you won't find a woman in it. All of man's genealogy and lineage doesn't have a woman. But God's lineage program for the Lord Jesus has women. Not just one. There's four or five of them in there. Read that first chapter there and you'll find the first one is a woman named Tamar. T-A-M-A-R. Tamar. Wow. She was one of Judah's sons. Why? Now he had three. And that one died. So... The levitate system is what is called Leviticus, le levitate. 
it means that if you've got a brother and he dies, then the next brother in line has got to take his family and raise them and care for them also. But for this unfortunate lady, bless her heart, the second one died too. And for her misfortune, the third one wasn't of age yet. He was just a boy. So she did some pretty crazy things. You can read it for yourself. Did some pretty crazy things. You know, people who are desperate sometimes do crazy things. People who are despondent, people who are hopeless, they do crazy things. Things that just don't make a lick of sense. Sometimes you'll just stand and scratch your head at them because they lose their compass, they lose, lose everything, lose a desire to go on. A lot of times we'll get to a place that they'll say, why should I live anymore? It's a terrible state to be in. She did some crazy things. There's another woman in, on that list that you'll find. Don's already gone down through there and surveyed that list and found these women for me. Bathsheba. How in the world did Bathsheba get in this lineage of Jesus? Not only does he have a woman who was doing some heinous things, but now he's got a, a woman that's married to a Hittite, and he's a Gentile, not a Hebrew. And she looks over. You know, sometimes I tried to imagine that in my mind, that it was a long way off, but excavations have archaeological digs have uh, kind of settled the score on that. That window that David was looking out was only about 20 feet from the back porch of Bathsheba's house. She knew what she was doing. And she come dragging that bathtub out on that back porch And David looked out that window, as she knew he would, and said, Whoo! Boy, what a gal! And he sent his servants over there to bring her to him. And he carried on that adultery until he said, she came to him and said, I'm going to have a baby, and it's yours. Now, we're talking about Jesus' family tree. And he said, well, let me see if I can get a, get a scheme here. We'll cover this up. That she's married. What's her husband's name? Uriah. Well, let's send some messengers down there and get him back here so I can take care of this situation. Well, he comes back from the war, gets in the steps, and he talks to David. David said, you've been a good soldier. Man, go on down there and spend the night with your wife and go on down there and see your family and have a good time down there. And, and uh, that's what I, I'm going to reward you. Well, David thought he did it. But the next morning, the servants came in and said, Uriah didn't go home. 
He slept on the steps of the palace. And the Bible said, and David was wroth. He got mad because his plan didn't work. He thought he was going to cover that all up, and nobody would know. So Uriah slept on the steps, and David said, why didn't you go home like I told you to go home? He said, my brethren are sleeping on the ground, and my brethren are fighting a fierce battle. You see, as the leader of the people, David should have been where the battle was instead of looking out his window at a nude woman. Well, you know the story. He had Uriah killed. He sent a letter to Joab, the captain of the army, and Joab broke it open and read it. It said, put Uriah in the heat of the battle where valiant men are fighting and said, withdraw from him. And when he is killed, send me word. Now he's become a murderer, trying to cover up a sin. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will be a pain you don't want to endure. Well, he thought he had everything fixed. Now that Uriah is dead, there's no, no threat of anything happening. Now I've got this thing fixed. I don't have to worry about it anymore. And the Bible said, but God had a prophet. And his name was Nathan. And Nathan came to see King David. And he said, O king, there is a man in your kingdom and he has many, many flocks and many, many herds. He's very wealthy, got thousands. And said, there's another man in your kingdom, and he's only got one little lamb. And he loves that lamb, and it drinks from the same cup that he does. And he said, a stranger came through and stopped at the house of the man with the many, many herds. But instead of killing one of his, he went over and took that one little lamb from that man and killed it for the stranger. David rose from the throne and he said, the man that did this must surely die. And Nathan pointed his finger at him and said, thou art the man. Pastor, why are you telling us this about the family tree? There are other women there, Ruth, and then finally you get to Mary mentioned there. After all of that turmoil and all of that sin, all of that murder, all of that adultery, you finally get down to Mary. And what does Mary have to do of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ? What a difference Jesus makes. What a difference Jesus makes. He makes all the difference that is in the, or is in the world. He is the greatest personality of all of history. He is the greatest human being who has ever lived. He is the Son of the living God. He is peace to a troubled soul. 
He is life to a dying person. In Isaiah 60, Arise and shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord, somebody say the Lord, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Who is that you around whom the glory would shine? Who is that you under whose light the nations will come? It continues, your son shall come from afar and your daughter shall be carried in the arms. Verse 5 and 6 says this, Then thou shalt see and flow together and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. The multitude of camels shall cover thee. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and increase, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. You see, this dualism between Jerusalem and the child, when the wise men arrived and they met with Herod first, they came to the city, but that's not where the star took them. It finally took them to Bethlehem. Oh, beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on. The Luke chapter 13, come on, Olivia. Luke chapter 13, Jesus was confronted with a story by the crowd about Pilate's troops killing worshiping Jews. They had come during a time when the worshipers were all at the Great Wall. They had their request and had their little notes that they'd written to communicate with God. They were singing the songs of Zion. They were worshiping. They were lifting up hands. And they were praying out loud unto God. But the crowd said, but Pilate's troops came and slaughtered them and killed them every one by the sword. They expected Jesus to get up and moan, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, I'll do something about that Pilate. But he said something so unexpected. He said, And except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Don't you love it when you expect God to say one thing and he says another? What are you saying, God? All of us will perish except we repent. He's saying oppressors are no different from the oppressed. That both of them need salvation. Both of them are lost without God unless they repent and turn to God. Pilate is lost unless he repents and turns to God. Those people that he slaughtered are lost unless they repent and turn to God. 
And the same holds true for America. The Bible said the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. That event would be the equivalent of someone coming in that door right there, God forbid, and slaughter this whole congregation and slaughter this preacher and slaughter that sweet young lady playing that music. That would be the equivalent of what had happened. And Jesus answered by saying, unless you repent, you'll perish. Meaning that salvation is for everybody. That lineage, including women who had done terrible things, is included there so you'll know that everybody needs salvation. Everybody needs Jesus. That everybody needs to repent. Years ago, E.G. won't let anybody call her E.G. but Papa. <laughs> I love it. Everybody else has to call her Ella Grace. But Papa calls her E.G. E.G. taught me something on a Saturday several years ago about loving God and loving people. We were driving along the interstate coming from her house. We got on the freeway at Pelham, and I was following along with the traffic, and she was playing Frozen on the video. When we exited, as usual, a man with a homeless, need money, help sign was standing by the stop sign on the ramp. And I looked past them as usual. And that little six-year-old said, Homeless. She was just learning to read. Homeless. Hungry. Please help. She suddenly said, Oh, Papa, have you got any money? And I said, Yeah, I've got some money. Well, give it to me. And I said, Well, what are you going to do with it, sweetie? You're six years old. She said, I'm going to give it to that man because he needs help. Sam, the Bible said, And a little child shall lead them. When it comes to caring about lost people, don't categorize people as if some are eligible and some are not. For everybody is welcome at the foot of the cross. Everyone is a somebody at the foot of the cross. When Debbie and years ago, Faye, it'll take some folks that's been here as long as me and you have to remember this. We used to have Christmas caroling. Glenda, you probably remember the Christmas caroling. We'd have about 50 folks that would come out, you know, Don. I can't get 50 folks to come for a prayer meeting now, but they'd come out for a singing carols back then. And let's see, it was me and Debbie and Starla and Tony and the Brownings and our James and Janice, I think, and several others probably Clayton and Margie, we all just would gather up and we'd have a nice meal before we went out uh, singing for people. Now, Debbie's got a lot of stories about what happened at that kind of thing, but don't listen to her. Come to me to get it verified. Well, we 
went around the neighborhood. It, hey, they even named them names like the 12 days of Christmas. And my group was called Leaping Lords. You know, Lords are leaping. So our group, Debbie, was Leaping Lords. I don't know if you remember that or not. She woke one old brother up. God help, I wish I could remember his name. He come to the door in a nightcap on and he opened the door and said, What do you want? Now I'm his pastor standing there. What do you want? And we said, We want to sing to you. We want to sing a Christmas carol. Well, I've already been in the bed. I said, Well, sir, it ain't but 6 30. And Debbie said, Well, you want us to sing? He said, Go ahead and sing your song. I'm going on to bed. We went to several houses, and one of the houses that we went to was Avis McLean's house. You and I are probably the only one that still remember her, Faye. They lived on Wilmer down there in front of the church back in those days, and her mother was still living, and she was 90-something years old, and we went by to cheer her up. We were going to spread some Christmas cheer for Avis mother and we were going to sing her some songs that make her happy and glad and uh we got in on the porch you know knocked on the door and, and she came out oh i'm so glad to see you she said i have been shut up in this house and hadn't been able to go to church and i don't know how long and i just need to say some things so we stood there with our little song books and for about 15 minutes, she preached to us. Do you know Jesus? If you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus. You won't make it without Jesus. you got to believe that God sent His Son to the world to save sinners. You better believe that. I mean, she preached about 15 minutes before that 90-year-old finally gave out. But we learned a good lesson there that night. We were invited to go to a, a, a place afterwards that night for that was a real swanky place. I mean, it was it was really really a high class place, and we went walking in there with that, our group of Christmas carolers, and they were nice. They just welcomed us and were real friendly to us. But when we got back to the church that night and started reflecting. And I think those visits to those oppressed people brought more joy and more peace and more blessing than all the time we spent at the wealthy meeting that night. Because God does not look upon the outward appearance. God looks upon our hearts. He knows your heart today. He knows what Christmas is going to be like for you. Some of you have told me privately, well, it's not going to be much of a Christmas this year, Pastor. Hey, it can be the greatest Christmas you've ever had. It can be the best one. Maurice, it could be the best one. It's going to be what you make out of it. Amen. If you want to wallow in all of that self-pity and stuff, you can probably do that and wait on the calendar to put another number up. Or you can rejoice in the God of salvation. 
You can celebrate the goodness of God. You believe that? Say amen. Amen. Stand with me, please. A little bit sweeter pastor than that when it preached last Sunday, huh? Messed up all of your... I noticed you got more deer in y'all's yards than you had mangers. <laughs> God, I thank you for the opportunity today to be in this house. I thank you for these people, people of God, people that love the Lord, people that honor the Christmas season and know the reason for the season. Thank you for them, O oh God. And I ask you to bless everyone that they'll have a great Christmas to celebrate the Lordship of Jesus. And I pray, O oh God, that hearts would be merry and hearts would rejoice in the God of our salvation. Keep everyone safe from danger and harm, I pray. And give us, O oh Lord, the greatest Christmas ever for harvest. In Jesus' righteous name, amen and amen. I want you to stay with me just a minute. Someone handed me a bottle of oil. I said, Pastor, what do you want to do with that? Well, Scripture says in James 5.14, Is there any sick among you? Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let they, them pray over him, anointing him with oil. In the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. Do you believe that? Well, if you've believed everything else I've told you, you've got to believe that. Because that's what the Scripture says. Don, come here and join with me and help me pray. Lord, I know that you're a God who heals and a God who delivers. You're a God who knows the pain and the suffering that people go through. You're touched, the Bible says, with the feeling of our infirmities. God, would you just stretch down your hand right now and touch this person with great grace and may your wonderful power and your healing virtue flow into their body and touch them, I pray right now, O God. Let there be a turnaround in their condition. God, move upon them. Encourage their heart and lift their spirit and help them to know that God is sufficient as healer and provider. Move, O God, in this life, I pray, in the strong name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. Praise God.